The Investment Podcast, brought to you by M&G. This podcast is for investment professionals only. Hello and welcome to this CIO edition of The Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Romil Patel, and today we have a very special lineup as we look ahead to 2023. Joining us today are Fabiana Fideli, Chief Investment Officer for Equities and Multi-Asset, Will Nickel, CIO for Private and Alternative Assets, and Jim Levis, CIO for Public Fixed Income at MNG Investments. Welcome to you all. It's a real pleasure to host today's session for our last podcast of the year. Hi, oh, yeah. Well, it's certainly a year that's not been shy of seismic events, from spiraling inflation to the rising interest rate environment. Which macro environment has had the biggest impact on your respective asset class from an investment and a business perspective? Ramil, clearly has been inflation and the reaction of central banks to it by tightening. Uh, and the fact also central banks were uh, left far behind. So the tightening had to be quite decisive and quite quick. And let's not forget that the inflation wasn't only coming from monetary sources, but we had supply bottlenecks that had already started post the COVID surge in demand. And on top of that, the tragic war in Ukraine, which obviously created bottlenecks in energy and soft commodities. So all of this has really affected equity markets and overall multi-asset allocation. For me, it's really all about the Fed as well. You've seen bond markets have an extraordinary move this year. All areas of bonds have sold off so far in 2022. So you have credit down 20% in some areas, government bonds down 20%, no hiding places, whether it's been emerging markets, inflation-linked bonds, uh, or whatever. And again, this is all about the Fed hiking rates. And it's a really aggressive hiking cycle that we're seeing already. So I think we don't just think about in terms of the kind of numerical amount that the Fed's hiking, but the percentage increase that we're seeing. So rates up from 1% to 2% is effectively a doubling of interest rates. And that's going to cause a lot of pain in 2023 and beyond. So for us, it's looking at the big uh, move in bond markets and saying, well, it looks like everything's cheap now, especially if um, things start slowing down, especially inflation starts slowing down in 2023. Jim, it's the same. It's the same that we've got in the private markets. The only thing that we have is that everything has um, been delayed in various bits of the market. So we have some bits that are really uh, reacting exactly the same as public markets and some that are really only just starting to understand the, the likely problems coming through. And, and I think the, the increase in rates is, is exactly the point from Jim that says you know, a 1% to 2% is, is quite an exciting move. But if you think about a coupon for a, for a piece of private debt that might have been 2 or 3% and suddenly is 4 or 5%, that's an extraordinary difference for the balance sheet for that company. So, so that's definitely going to be the, the theme that carries on giving, I think, for 2023 as well. And Will, I'll stay with you, if I may. Um, heightened global uncertainty and the war in Ukraine have seen a significant disruption of markets. So how important is it to prepare for and price in disruption as a leader in today's world? Well, I think it's, I mean, if you think about the, I mean, talking about the private markets, you know, property, uh, private equity, then then you're spending the whole time looking at either very high quality uh, buildings or high quality companies that, that are going to survive in, in whatever environment that they're in. So, so you're always looking at the underlying assets and, and the quality of them to make sure that they, they can 
withstand whatever the problems are. And I think that it is, it's very easy to become uh, almost paralyzed by, by the number of different risks that could come through. And, and I think you've got to be very careful not to do that. So, for example, if you think about COVID, there'd been a discussion about a SARS virus coming across uh, for, for a long, long time. Now, it, it was a slightly different one to the one that we expected, but but if one had got that right and had actually looked at the reactions that 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 uh, in terms of lockdowns, then the responses could have been quite different from actually what would have made money. So you know, we saw the biggest consumer bailout that that anyone's ever seen, and so it's all very well thinking about the risks that might come. And as I say, it's very important that you have you know good companies, good buildings good you know, uh, ideas and, and structures that are going to be able to survive these things. But you have to be very careful about catastrophizing too much and, and getting to the stage where, where you know, you're, you're worried the whole time that, that the world's going to fall in. And Jim, how do you see this? I totally agree with Will. It, it does become easy in our job watching 24-hour news to always be thinking about worst-case scenarios. And, you know, look at emerging markets. If you lived in that kind of mindset, you would never buy anything. You know, there's always something, there's always a revolution, uh, a food crisis, uh, a natural disaster, a war somewhere in the world. And yet when we look at valuations in emerging market bonds at the moment, you you, you know, some of those good quality issuers have yields of 10, 11, 12%. So what's important for any investment manager is to say, well, not not just think about news flow and the things that keep you up at night, but say, am I getting paid enough to compensate me for those risks? We know that they're always going to be here. There's always going to be a recession, in, you know, in, in two years' time, five years' time. But if that put you off investing in corporate bonds or investing in emerging markets or right now government bonds, you'd never buy anything. And so your fundamental starting point is, what is the additional yield I get for lending money to a, a high yield issuer or an emerging markets relative to what I could get in a bank account or in a safe government bond? And if that's more than your expected losses due to defaults, because we know defaults will rise in 2023 and 2024, but if, uh, if what's priced into the market is pricing in another Great Depression, then you should be buying corporate bonds or high yield going into that world rather than running away from them. And, and how about you, Fabiana? Interestingly, you remarked on the news flow in our last podcast and what, what an impact that has in today's fluid world. You know, I, I completely agree with uh, Jim and Will. This is a market where you can still harvest alpha, but you have to think differently from the, if you want, the traditional ways of uh, looking at market reactions. And you really have to think about fundamentals. Uh, you know, every time you think about inflation uh, not rising anymore at some point, the instinct would go to go back to the meme stocks, to the extreme growth stocks that have long-term promises of earnings, but probably need those earnings to be funded for a long time. Well, that that is not the answer in this market. You've seen what has happened with crypto companies. You, you know, you have heard Jim talking about higher defaults going forward. But it's also true that you can find companies where valuations are now at depressed levels, and yet they have fundamentals that are defined 
the slowdown in uh, in demand. And you've seen it in recent results, earnings results, where companies have, just because of differences in exposure, in balance sheet strength, and generally also in the quality of management, they've had very different results. So it's still a market for alpha, but you re- it really defies those uh, traditional ways of looking at inflationary impacts. And Jim, 2022 has seen inflation clearly move beyond transitory, and it's now structural. Uh, With inflation now at 41-year highs and tighter monetary policy, how do you see the inflationary path playing out in the UK, the US, and the EU? And where are you seeing a, a consensus emerge, if any? And more importantly, where do you agree or disagree with that consensus? Well, you're right. You know, If you look at central banks' inflation targets at 2%, we're five times higher than that in the UK at the moment. Uh, US is also up there, as is Germany and other bits of the world. But the other thing we also know is that there is an element of transitory. I know it's become a bit of a dirty word and uh, people mock the fact that people have been talking about transitory now for a year and a half. But it is clear that base effects, i.e. where prices were a year ago, will have a big impact in 2023 on what the, the headline rates of inflation are. And people will start becoming a lot less scared of inflation when they see those headline rates come down, and perhaps quite rapidly. You know, towards the end of the the last quarter of 2022, we perhaps saw signs that US inflation had started to roll over. We've got a European gas problem over the winter, so we don't know whether the headline rate will come down as quickly there. But I think by the middle of next year, you'll be seeing significant falls of inflation. I'm not saying central banks will then start worrying about deflation again, which has been really the story of the past 30 years. But some of the big secular trends that have kept inflation low still very much remain in place. Technological change that means that has driven down wages, you know, uberization of the labor force, or think about the impact Amazon has on all the, the ability of us all to find the lowest price wherever it is in the world. That's going to continue. Globalization has been slightly under threat with some trade wars and Brexit and things like that. But on the whole, we're moving from a less global world to a more global world over the decades to come. And that will drive inflation down as well. So my guess is that in in a year's time, we'll be nothing like as worried about inflation as we are now. And Luckily, that will give central banks some room to cut interest rates down in response to what well may be a, a recession. Jim, the, the one thing that, that I see with the inflation bid is that we've had such an extraordinary period of, of negative interest rates that, that you know, with everybody getting used to negative interest rates and getting used to the excess liquidity coming through from that, I don't think we're going to go back to those positions even when inflation comes down. And I think that feels to me like a still a bit of a risk as everybody go, th- goes back to what they think is normal, but normal really wasn't because normal was negative interest rates and no- normal was excess liquidity available just about everywhere. Yes, very much agree with what uh, Will is saying. And you know, if you look specifically at equities, even if inflation comes down sometime later next next year, you still have very high cost of funding. So companies will have to deal with 
difficulties from a balance sheet standpoint if their balance sheets are not strong enough. And at the same time, we're going to shift the attention to how deep a recession is going to be. If there is going to indeed be a recession in many countries, it looks like that will be the case. And don't forget that equities do not like recessions. So there is a possibility, obviously, a lot of the uh, heavy lifting in markets has been done. If you've looked at uh, recessionary periods at the beginning of the 80s, of the 90s, of the 2000s, um, there had been quite a big drop in uh, markets, in equity markets before the actual recessions. And then entering the recessions, it was kind of the last shoe to drop. Uh, but that means that we are closer to the light at the end of the tunnel of uh, uh, rate hikes and inflation uh, rising, but we're still in darkness. And that darkness will probably still create some uh, uncertainty and volatility when it comes to equities. Well, Fabiana, with that reference of there being light at the end of the tunnel, what are some of the key events and pieces of economic data that you think could signal a change in market sentiment or indeed uh, direction in the year ahead? Clearly, having a confirmation that we are over peak inflation, particularly at the core end. So we have seen some initial signs literally in the last couple of uh, CPI and PPI reads in the uh, United States. We're not there yet in other countries, but already seeing it in the U.S. would be a big uh, a big, if you want, help for the sentiment in market. The other elements that we're watching is obviously geopolitical risk. Um, any satisfactory ending um, to the uh, war, to the tragic war in Ukraine, which would actually come with an agreement and a lifting of sanctions would, of course, help markets. Um, these are all events um, that are not as... Um, as likely in the very close term, but um, you know, just seeing some improvements there would very much help sentiment. And also, of course, uh, how deep a recession will be, that will be key. I think for me, it will be around the employment market. If you think back to the global financial crisis, everyone talks about the recovery of that from, from that crisis as a jobless recovery. This is exactly the opposite. The recovery from COVID has been one where we have full un full employment in the UK and in the US. And if you look in the UK, we have as many job vacancies as we have uh, people out of work at the moment. And so I think it's the tight labour market puts central banks ill at ease. That's what they worry about. They worry that high consumer prices, thanks to the war and thanks to commodity prices, mean that labour i.e. workers, will demand higher and higher wages. And they think back to the 1970s and wage price spirals that ended up with uh, more and more wages, meaning more and more high prices and so forth. I think that's less likely to happen this time, in part because we don't have powerful trade unions nowadays. Capital is very much still uh, in the driving seat there. But nevertheless, I don't think the Fed will be comfortable cutting interest rates while you have uh, such a low unemployment rate uh, around the world, they'll they'll uh, wait until they start start seeing some moderation in that and in wage prices. So for me, that's the thing I'm keeping an eye on. And that's very important because there are talks out there that at some point the Fed will start um, cutting rates once it ends hiking them. And that obviously is possibly where the biggest question mark is, and the likelihood of that happening is very limited. 
in the near term. Jim, forgive me if I can ask you a question here. If there were to be another black swan event and central banks had to cut rates again, do they have enough road to be able to do so? Yeah, because they've got um, a little machine in the corner of their office where they can press print and do whatever they want. And I think that's actually, I'd put that as one of my risks, right? That, and I don't know, I don't know the answer to this, but ever since the global financial crisis, politicians, companies, investors like me, we rely on central banks to come riding to the rescue to sort things out by pressing print on the photocopier and doing quantitative easing. And I'm not sure whether that's the right thing to do going forwards. Obviously, COVID, exceptional, global financial crisis, exceptional things. And I don't disagree with any of those decisions, but I wonder whether politicians now rely heavily on there never being another recession again. And if, the, you know, is that a good thing? Is some creative destruction, you know, there is an argument that says you've got good companies and bad companies. By allowing all companies to survive at all times by providing furlough, loans, cheap money, etc., the good companies will always be forced out of business by the, the less efficient companies and you don't get the progress and the productivity growth. I mean, it's a really difficult argument to make um, if you are a central banker that you should be allowing more companies to go bust. But, you know, productivity growth in Western economies has been very, very poor. And perhaps one of the reasons for that is around the existence of zombie companies staying alive and not allowing newcomers to, to make profits. So I think that we are in a slightly different world. I think that barrier to more QE is going to be a lot higher than it was historically. But if, if a black swan that you talked about did happen again, I think that they do go into the safe and unlock the what to do in emergency book and do it again. And Will, my apologies for deviating. I'll come back to you. Um, what are some of the key events and pieces of economic data that you think could signal a change in market sentiment or direction in the year ahead? Well, I think as always, it, it's it's the things that people have got used to, the, the aggression in Ukraine. Uh, people have, have almost got used to the, to the absolute idea that interest rates are going to carry on going up forever somehow when when you look at it and any of the things changing from from this year from from the the almost the status quo that we've managed to get ourselves into will be sufficient to to make it feel uh, significantly more cheerful about the world it's less a question of, of one particular thing it is more i think more a question that says sentiment will, will shift and i think will shift quite quickly when you end up with some of these uh, rather stale ideas. And finally, I'd like to come to each of you for your final thoughts as we head into 2023. Uh, Will, if I may come to you first. I think 2023 is going to be very interesting. I, firstly, because if you think about the, the private markets as a whole, they are reacting so differently at the moment and with vastly different time lags to, to the various things that we've seen over the last six, nine months, that, that whatever happens, there are places where there's very interesting value and there are places where there is much less value and we're waiting for, for the markets to react. And, and so as such, when I look at 2023, I think private markets will, will throw up some very, very interesting and, and good value ideas. I think longer term, you know, we are moving from a position of ultra low rates into something that is that is more normalised. And, and that means that the, the bits of the private markets that have grown very strongly over that period Possibly, 
and I say possibly because you, you can't be sure why they've grown, but possibly in in, in reaction to those ultra low rates, we, we may see a little bit more pressure in some of those. But but I, I still see that the, the general growth of the private markets continues. So it, it, it's an interesting time. This is the first credit cycle for the private markets really since they've grown so strongly since since the the financial crash of 2008 and and therefore um there are definitely going to be places that are going to be tested in a way that that they weren't expecting to be tested or, or hadn't been so far but as again that that will give some some very interesting opportunities i think going through 23 uh, and and probably into 24 25 as well and jim if i may ask for your final thoughts well, we've moved from a boring bond market to a really interesting, exciting bond market with loads of things to do and loads of opportunities. And, you know, you think back a couple of years during COVID, 10-year US Treasury bond yields were half a percent and, you know, they got up above 4% recently. Uh, you can buy investment grade, good quality US companies with corporate bond yields of 6%, emerging market bonds, 12%, high yield bonds, 10%. And so we've seen this complete change in the investment universe from me thinking that nothing looked good value to me thinking that almost everything looks value. And I can almost close my eyes and, and just pick any of these asset classes. So just I think, I think that would be my message that we've reached valuation opportunities that for the first time in two years look brilliant. And um, I'm buying some bonds. And Fabiana, how about you? It's great to see my fixed income colleague being... <laughs> being so bullish um you know for equities it will all depend on uh, recession how deep will it be you know where it will happen and you know how long it will last so for now as we said earlier we're closer to the light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to um inflation possibly and also rate hikes but we're not there yet and in this kind of market, we have been advising our uh, clients that this is not a market for broad stock investing, meaning it's not a market for big sweeping uh, sector calls, country calls, but really market where to be selective, to pick alpha when the baby gets thrown out with the bath water. Uh, so companies with strong fundamentals are actually sold off in a market frenzy, but actually they have... Uh, the ability to withstand the uh, difficulties in the macro backdrop. We still think this is a market where you can harvest alpha and going forward, depending on what we see in terms of signals from a recession viewpoint, it might be that the October lows that we have seen are the lowest point that we will deal with. But again, if a recession comes, we should probably be prepared for another leg down. Thanks indeed, Fabiana. Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for in this special episode of the Investment Podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing from the CIOs here at MNG Investments as much as I did. Thanks indeed to our guests, Will, Fabiana, and Jim, for sharing their insights. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And thank you to you, our audience, for tuning in and for your support, not just today, but throughout the year. We look forward to bringing you more perspectives next year, but it's goodbye for now. Have a merry festive season and a very happy new year. For further information, please view the notes which accompany this episode. This podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments will fluctuate, which will cause prices to fall as well as rise, and investors may not get back the original amount they invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information and views expressed should not be taken as a recommendation, advice, 
or forecast. <laughs>